Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today is a very special episode. I'm joined by my sister Allie. She just graduated um, her bachelor's degree in human nutrition and is enrolled in her master's program with the goal of being a registered dietitian. We're talking today about nutrition, diet culture, exercise, body image, how those are all related and how society alters that. And so I hope you listen to this, learn some knowledge. It's going to be in two parts because we talk a lot, um, but I hope you enjoy and let's dive right into it. All right, so we just wanted to know what nutrition is and what you studied and what you're heading to be towards a dietitian and what that takes to yeah. study. So I did four years at Guelph in the Applied Human Nutrition program. Um, so in order to be a dietitian, which is what I want to be, it's a registered dietitian, so it is a registered health professional like a nurse would be. So it's a protected title. Um, so you have to go to one of the accredited um, nutrition programs. So there's only three in English in Ontario. Um, and in that, we kind of learn, obviously, about nutrition. We learn about, like, the chemistry, biochemistry behind it, physiology, um, and then some stuff into understanding foods and, like, some stuff into, like, there's a restaurant court, so there is some cooking, which I think is important yeah. to have those skills. Um, and then in order to become a dietitian, you actually need an internship. So oftentimes I'd be at a hospital. So right now in Ontario, that is coupled up with the education. So you have to do a master's or a professional diploma. So I'm doing my master's um, in the fall at Guelph as well. And then I'll be doing a one-year internship at a uh, hospital working in a few different departments, um, mm -hmm. all in the hospital with some outpatient stuff and some inpatient stuff. And that's just really shadowing a dietitian um, and then starting to do some of the work yourself. So it's just really important that you actually have that experience with a mentor and somebody who's giving you constant feedback. Um, so that's all that goes into being a dietitian as well as writing an exam at the end of that. Um, so I think that it's why it's so important that we get the word out of what a dietitian is and why um, dietitians really are. I don't want to, like, they are educated. At a different level than a nutritionist. Yeah. Because that's a term people throw, I think, throw around left, right, yeah. and center. They're like, I'm a nutritionist. No, what is that? It's nothing compared to what you're going to be. So, yeah, a nutritionist in Ontario, at least, it's different in some provinces like Quebec, is not a protected title. Um, so anyone could call themselves a nutritionist and then they could have various levels of education. Maybe they have a college degree. Maybe um, they took a six-week course online, but yeah. it's not the same as a dietitian. And another big distinction is they're not regulated. So um, there's different, um, there's a college of dietitians of Ontario that you have to belong to. You have to have liability insurance and you need your regulated professional. And you're paying you for all these just, things. You have a um, duty to do no harm. For sure. Um, so there is a college that's there to protect the public. So just as you would see a nurse, you would they um, have to protect the public as well. They have to do no harm. So it's important to have that distinction. So in your four, you just graduated your four years in nutrition. You're essentially studying how food affects the body. Is that correct? Um, it's a lot of different things. It's the, like starting from the basics of nutrition talking about yeah how food affects the body but also talking about just the physiology physiology of the body yeah. um talking about like differences of 
It's um, not that simple that, as this food is going to directly affect this. It's it's not yeah, straightforward like that. Talking about genetic components going right. into it, um, exercise. It's uh, genuinely a really big range of topics that you cover to prepare you to dive into um, whatever area of dietetics that you go into. Yeah, because um, there's lots of fields of it. But it is a lot of background that goes into, especially in the first two years, with your background in science to understanding what you go on later. And then um, a lot of clinical um, courses where we would do a lot of case studies with um, potential patients, learning about different areas and how you would treat patients with maybe um, kidney disease, patients, yeah. of course, with diabetes, um, like any different scenario, whether that be inpatient or outpatient. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing I guess that might be missing is there's so many areas that dietetics is going into. I didn't learn a lot about sports nutrition and right. uh, different specialized areas, but I think that's really where your internship comes into, where you get a little bit of say into what you're doing and then you're working one-on-one -on -one with a dietitian who's been working in the field. Right, and for those of you who don't know, our mother is a dietitian. So we grew up with that. Did that affect your decision to become a dietitian, the work that she did, or kind of a bit of both, or I think what that, inspired you? I think that I might not have even known that this career path was available. Sure. I definitely know some people who get two years into a kinesiology, phys ed, whatever degree, and didn't know that dietetics was an option. And unfortunately, it's you do need to practically start over a new undergrad and to be able to get into this and it is yeah. a very competitive field so I think that was important to me to know that that was an option so I could go right into dietetics right away but also to know that it's competitive that you need to get either a master's or diploma that your marks are important and like really get on track right away for sure um, and yeah getting into your master's and getting your internship is not an easy thing to do no like not you at worked all. your ass off for that yeah well yeah of course some people don't get even interviews for for those types of things for sure um, and that's, that could be a whole other uh, segment is there is a lot of barriers to being in this field. Um, and there is a huge lack of diversity in this field. It is like mostly women. It's mostly white women. Yeah. Um, it's mostly thin white women. Yeah. And obviously that is a major, major problem and something that I notice a lot of barriers, even with weight bias that, um, things with financially, um, sure. Going into a master's program, not only am I going to be doing my master's, I'm doing a placement at the same time, which is eight hours a day, four days a week. Um, so there's not really time to work. And on top of that, you're paying for your tuition for your master's studies, and you're also paying an additional $1,500 internship fee. So you're not getting paid like a co-op might for the work that you're doing. You're yeah. actually paying $1,500 a semester. To be there. To be there. Instead of them paying you. To work you. for free. So yeah. <laughs> I, like, I'm very lucky to, like, be able to make that work, um, but after doing an undergraduate four-year degree, yeah, um, many people can't afford that or sure. go into to debt doing that or, of course, can't get to that point where they get in because it's, uh, like, they're really high marks required, yeah. and just because you don't get, like high 80s or 90s in your undergrad doesn't mean you're not going to be a great dietitian. Um, For so sure. That, that's a challenge too, but. Yeah, and there, and there's so many fields. Is there a specific area that you find interest in working in? Um, I actually, I'm, have been surprised in this last year, kind of getting a taste of different areas through some of my courses, through my thesis, um, that 
it's my mind has kind of changed over time. Yeah. And kind of just opening up the opportunities. And that's what kind of draw, drew me to the field is that I can work a career that has different segments of different areas and right. kind of keep it interesting. So I definitely want to work in a clinical area. So I definitely want to be working directly with patients, at least for the beginning of my career. Um, I'm really excited to do my placement at a hospital in both inpatient and outpatient. And that's just kind of for me to see what I like. Yeah. Um, being a varsity athlete, playing volleyball at Guelph these last four years, definitely brings me into interest of sports just because I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and because of the interesting to me intersection between performance and nutrition for peak performance, but also all of the body image, um, for especially sure. for women, yeah. issues that come into that and how can you intersect that, have a healthy relationship with food, um, which is hard enough for anyone to do, for but sure. at the same time, prioritize your nutrition and use it in a way that's going to help um, benefit your performance. So that's definitely something I want to get into. And if I could um, just tap into that in my internship, that would be like really exciting for me. And then mm -hmm. um, in my thesis... I was looking into the history of consulting dietetics. So that's working as like a private practice. Um, so that's definitely something that I see myself getting into after I've gotten a ton of experience, maybe 10, yeah. 20 years down the road. Um, Cause there is an opportunity to really expand, um, really be very patient focused, see patients over the long term, see patients in a way that's maybe more flexible and meeting their needs more. But also it is an opportunity to make a little bit more money um, once you've kind of reached the max of what you can do as a dietitian um, and then really just like push yourself to keep evolving and learning right. which is kind of that's one of the things that they want you to do as a dietitian you need to every year show yeah just because you're done your how, schooling yeah, doesn't mean you're done this is how I'm expanding my knowledge I'm yeah. you're a lifelong learner in this and nutrition as a field is so evolving we don't have great research on so many things yeah. like such a great example is if you think about the two key and I hate the word diets but um diets right now is we have this vegan yeah um which of course it's not just for health right this for sure huge environmental moral, yeah. piece yeah moral piece um but that is very like um lots of obviously plants like vegetables like it's a little bit more higher carb um, maybe lower fat because you don't have the animal fats coming yeah. into play. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have this huge push for keto. Which yeah, we polar can, opposite. Yeah, we yeah. can talk about that another time too, but that's <laughs> obviously very high fat, low carb. Um, and those are the two major pushes right now for someone who's like looking in a direction of how they want to eat. Mm -hmm. um, just popular diets at this time. So you can see how opposite they are. Um, and essentially what we know is if you're trying to lose weight or maintain your weight you want to be it's all it's the bit like it comes down to calories yeah so it makes sense why you could have um if weight loss is your goal you could have success with either yeah um or if maintenance is your goal you could have sex success with either um but it just kind of goes to show that we don't know as much as we'd hope to and it is a big challenge to do research and nutrition because the ethic component of for sure of trying to control those factors so yeah you're kind of doing what you can on limited studies 
um, and then just continuously trying to educate yourself as things come out and new right. research well, comes What we out. know is that there's no magical, perfect route that everybody can take to get success. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's that's why I find it so interesting growing up, too, is, like, everybody's body's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody reacts to different things. This works for somebody. This doesn't work for somebody. And I think when people first think of dietitians, our mind goes to somebody trying to lose weight. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the first kind of thing that I, at least I think of even being raised by a dietitian. That is what it is. But really, it's not like you're talking about sports you know, maintaining weight. There's so many different things. Different people have different diseases. They need special diets. Like, it's really, everybody can benefit from a dietitian. Yeah, I think for me, where I see myself in the next five years as a dietitian, it's almost like so much of your work with a client is reversing the damage that they have unconsciously experienced by living in a society that is so affected by diet culture. It's such a big problem because it is so internalized and there's so many ways that you can see this. It's just there are women our age who look in the mirror every day and have to comment on how the the way that they see their body in that day. Yeah. Every day they see people on Instagram and they're looking at their body. It's like internally they're seeing, oh, I love her body, I wish I looked like that, constant comparison from my body to hers, maybe you're making excuses, like, all of this. And although there's different paths to get to, like, a healthy relationship with food in your body, and that's not just a a story that you might go on with a dietitian, like, um, it's just so difficult for people to, to be like, this is my body, it does so much more for me than just the way that it looks. Yeah. There's so much more to me than just what my body looks like. For sure. Um, and that I don't need to affect my relationship with food just because of my relationship with my body. It's just such a challenging dynamic, and it's not the fault of the individual. Right. That's the biggest component to all of it. It's not the fault of the individual. Um, we know there's such a big genetic component of weight. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being at whatever um, weight or size that you're at, but it's also so genetically determined. Yeah, I think the, the whole, what I find society-wise, what I see on the internet is everybody's obsessed with everybody being healthy, but that term means so much to different people. And that whole idea of you're healthy or you're not healthy is kind of messed up, yeah. right? Because every person, like, is so different. And when you're looking at somebody and you look at the weight, their weight and say, oh, that person's not healthy, you know, yeah. and they think that that comment may be helping somehow. Right? We think of the cyberbullying and such, especially on the internet, especially like TikTok and Instagram. Yeah. Making a comment is so easy, and you hide behind this idea that, oh, they're not healthy, so like I can make that comment when you know nothing about them. I think that's the big point is we are using this term of health. Um, we're hiding behind health um, to try not to reveal that we're just have a huge weight bias. Yeah. And I don't know what the right term is right now, um, but whether you say weight bias, whether you say fat phobic, whatever you want to call it, um, that's the problem. People are using health because to pretend that they they aren't weight biased. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not helpful at all, obviously. Yeah. Um, But this connection that we put between weight and health is something I think that right now we need to challenge. Um, There's so much more between that apparent correlation, like, that 
than meets the eye. For sure. Um, one of the huge things that was talked about recently in one of my classes was, um, let's talk about how just weight bias affects the health outcomes of people in larger bodies. How mm. about going through life um, with dealing with your maybe your doctor, dealing with some random person on the street, dealing with your family yeah. members, um, dealing with yourself having a problem with your weight. Yeah. That neg that causes stress. You know what yeah. I mean? We haven't uh, like corrected for. We haven't accounted for the stress of that on yeah. a person that could be contributing to any negative health outcome that someone in a larger body has. Yeah. And, and that's just one thing. And and the whole doctor piece, it's one thing to hear from people on the internet about what they think about your size. It's another thing to go to a doctor and then make comments about it and tell you you need to lose weight without any knowledge. Because, mm-hmm. like, family doctors and that sort of thing don't have the knowledge that you have, and they almost have that bias. Yeah. A lot I, of doctors. And, I, that, and I, I haven't been to med school, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. And for I, sure. I'm not all med schools are the same. But uh, I think a general consensus is maybe that the nutrition knowledge in physicians might be lacking and that there Mm -hmm. is definitely a bias and um, maybe in older physicians and maybe in physicians that are men um, towards thinking that more problems can be solved with weight loss and dismissing um, symptoms of other things. Symptoms of other things and blaming it on somebody who has larger weight. I think that makes a case for why we need dietitians in so many different areas mm-hmm. of our healthcare system, but also you can't discount the onus on on the physician to stay up to speed. But it yeah. is there's so many different things that doctors have to be um, up to speed on and and that their job entails that dietitians really have could have a prominent place. That is the whole job is to look into the nutrition and um, how that affects health piece, and you're constantly staying up to date on that. Mm. And we're a lot cheaper absolutely. than a physician, absolutely. So I think that makes a huge case for why dietitians you, should really be everywhere. Yeah, we don't need doctors to to update their knowledge on it. They just need to be directing things to you. That's why your career is there. Yeah. Right. And like I, I think. It depends on the person, but I've heard horror stories of people going to doctors and telling them they need to lose weight. And there isn't necessarily a correlation between, you know, health and weight, right? You could, there's so many people like, especially me, I'm lucky that that we have the doctor that we have, but the problems that I've had health-wise with different things in my body could have just been attached to my weight, a doctor could have said that mm-hmm. and not been diagnosed with what I have been, right? Yeah. So how much of that is going on in their real life? How many people have actual diseases and illnesses that have just been like, oh, it's because you're overweight? Yeah, especially if it's somebody who has been diagnosed by their doctor with obesity. Yeah. Um, who their doctor's just looking at their um, BMI score and, you know what I mean, yeah. corresponding it to a, a chart. Yeah. Maybe involving waist circumference and saying well according to these two measures um you are in a high risk very yeah. high risk for other um negative health outcomes because they tend to use bmi can you yeah. explain what bmi is and and how that's negatively affecting it so bmi is essentially just your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared so it's supposed to be an index 
body mass index um, to measure how your weight to height ratio, essentially, um, how that can predict what risk you are for um, developing a negative health outcome that we think might be related to weight. So, yeah. for example, hypertension or type 2 diabetes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, this measure has really made its way into individual health care when it really is something that was designed initially for a population-based. So when you're looking at a population-based study or a measure of population health, those BMIs that maybe are higher, like in a category of high risk, but the person doesn't have any negative health outcomes and vice versa, um, someone who has quote-unquote normal BMI, according to this chart, yeah. um, but does have negative health outcomes, they can even each other out, right. um, but you don't have that same thing happening on an individual scale. And of course, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't take into consideration people from, like, so many <laughs> other things. Muscle mass. It's, it's just yeah. so... Like so many things, it's so Eurocentric. Right, um, so if you think of you, if you they, the audience can't see you, but you're an athlete and you're built like a house. Like, you have muscle, like no one believed, but you on the BMI scale. I'm, yeah, I would say depending on my weight at any given time, which, hello, it naturally fluctuates and it's all for good. For sure, for sure. Um, like... I'll, like, I, I would say I'm sitting at about 175 pounds right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is in kilograms at 5'11". Um, and I believe the last time, like, I would calculate that, it would be on the high end of what is considered normal. So yeah, so you're 24. almost... 24.9 is normal, and yeah. I'm in the high 24s. Yeah. Um, but at some points in my life, kind of depending on your weight, or if I put in 5'11 or 5'10, right. because, you know, who knows? Yeah, it's just not accurate, and yet it's still being used. Totally being used. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that where we need to be headed next is really trying to either eliminate our, our just the weight from our assessment. Like, not, do you take weight, but it's just I don't, not putting such an emphasis on weight. It could be a factor, but it's not the factor. Yeah. And I'll be all. And there are some dietitians who don't, like, don't even care about weight. Yeah. Um, a lot of, like, the intuitive eating principles. Right. Um, the newest intuitive eating addition just really takes weight out of the equation. Right, because in, in terms of our society and the way that it's structured, thinking at, starting at the age of three years old, four years old, you're in school, you're eating at certain times due to the school, and that continues through your entire education career. Then you get a job and you work nine to five and you're eating at the same time because that's what habit and we lose the ability to eat when we're hungry and know when we're hungry. Yeah, and I would argue um, that even the bigger influence is diet culture. Um, right. A lot of, you'll hear a lot of people and you'll hear it in your own head, um, a lot of, oh, like, I don't know, I shouldn't be hungry, I just, I just ate this time mm -hmm. or if you're following a diet um, mm. that's telling you what to eat, you're ignoring those cues from your body. A lot of diets are ser like starvation diets or right. low calorie diets, um, and you're just trying to ignore your hunger cues. Yep. And eventually, like. And they're there for a reason. Your brain tells you when you're hungry, so that's yeah. how the body works yeah. before we and had then, any. And then if you're like listening to your satiety cues, 
um, that can become a little bit more challenging when we're not really focused on it. So intuitive eating kind of goes to re-listening to those hunger cues. Yes. Try not to question the hunger cues of why no. am I hungry, just like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. okay if my body um, needs more today than it did yesterday. For sure, some days you're hungrier than others. And preparing, like, not going, like, six hours without eating. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, because that's just setting yourself up to be, like, very, very hungry. Right. And then it's harder to really be listening to your body while you're eating because you're just almost on autopilot because yeah. you've really been, you have been starving your body for six hours. So another thing that's important is like listening to those fullness cues, but right. um, big with intuitive eating is just being present when you're eating. Right. Um, so many of us who doesn't, especially at this time, watch something or is doing something else while we're eating. Right. Right, you like even watching television while you're eating. It's or almost like you're. I put on a YouTube video for right. Once I'm ready, because I can't enjoy it without this. But then yeah. you're kind of like, how about sitting down? And I'm not perfect at this. Like I like for to sure. watch things when I'm eating too. Absolutely. But like when you're trying to really listen to your body, it's like I want to enjoy this food, like actually chewing my food, right. actually enjoying my food, um, and like knowing when, like listening to my body to feel those fullness cues. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely like a huge journey and, but intuitive eating is something that is like, I strongly believe in is something that I'm working to learn more about. And mm -hmm. it's something that has now thankfully been heavily researched. It was created by, um, two dietitians just based on the research that was available at the time and what they've been finding in their patients, because there was a time where dietitians were just prescribing people diets and yeah they weren't understanding why it wasn't working and I guess that's the next thing we should talk about is why diets don't work yeah um but they created intuitive eating out of a combination of all those things and now however many years later um they're on their fourth edition and what's happened is people have actually used intuitive eating as a principle in studies yeah. to show and suggests its effectiveness um so that's really cool to see that evolve over time so that's definitely something that I want to use in my practice and have those right. tools to use in my practice to help people um just kind of have a healthy relationship with food um because like it's just so important it's so interesting because this whole intuitive eating piece is where we started yeah. And then we, you can see through time how we lost that and getting back to what our, what we originally we had without the research or that anything was intuitive eating and that's just how we lived. So yeah. going back to that is very interesting and, and you can see the damage and especially with diets. Yeah. It's what it's, like I said, it's unlearning the things that we have been taught by diet culture our whole lives yeah. since younger than, than we thought possible. Yeah. And so I find it interesting, a little bit interesting, because you and mom, as you're both studying, you still sometimes have disagreements mm -hmm. on things, yeah. right? Even though you were raised by her and we had certain rules and things that we followed, we, we were very lucky to have teachings that we did growing up. No, absolutely. And there's still things. And one thing that you and mom kind of disagree about is diet culture. Not necessarily diet cultures, but just diets in general. Yeah, I think I, I have definitely a strong opinions. Right. Like, 
In you, general. That's just you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you that's, just... That's we, just yeah, we're all very opinionated at the household. Strong opinions, um, but especially when it comes to diet culture. And I think, and I think mom is changing and you right? can't blame her because when she went to school, things were completely different. For sure. But she's more of one to, oh, I'll try out this new diet and mm-hmm. see how I like it and, and see with my patients where I'm like, I'll read about what it is, but I don't, I don't need to do it because I'm, I reject all diets, yeah, right? Yeah, as Unless, we're sitting beside a bookshelf filled with diet books, which is kind of a bit ironic. Yeah. And it's <laughs> but, not, yeah. not that I, I don't want to look into it. Yeah. I think um, there's benefits And, and she makes a good, and this is just, like, ignoring, there are definitely reasons when people have actual, like, things that you need a special diet for, like, keto diet was originally created for epilepsy, and... Right, so with, this is just, like... Like, if you have kidney disease, you right. need to have certain things. If you have, you know what I mean. This is just, we're talking about talking people about without uh, illnesses that affect what they eat. Yeah. Everyday people. Yeah. Just functioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um... I think what she has made a good point about is that sometimes people are going to do these things anyways, um, right. and it's better to, if somebody wants to go keto, um, to do it with the support of a dietitian than for them to be rejected by dietitians and go see a nutritionist right. and do it with them. Right. Um, I'd love to just do a quick talk about what I don't love about keto. Yeah, I think it's keto... Right now is the it's most prominent. very prominent. And it's what people, I think that we you rate diets right now is how successful it is in the moment. And that's what people, when they people talk about weight loss, they want it now. Yeah. So that is, I and, guess that's where I want to start is, yeah. um, diets don't work, period. Yeah. Um, and we know diets don't work and there's a concept of yo-yo dieting. Um, and what happens is, is people go on diets, um, and evidently they will often see weight loss. Yeah. Um, and then our body says, hold on a minute, this isn't, this isn't good. Our bodies don't want to change. Our bodies don't want to lose weight. Um, that's, we have come from evolving in a a state where, um, food was scarce, scarce. (laughs) Yeah, you got her. And, um... We don't want to lose this fat that we have to protect ourselves For in sure. case of famine. So um, our bodies don't want us to lose weight, essentially. So it's that's part of the reason why it's so challenging. Yeah. So you'll, you go on a diet and maybe you lose some weight. But the piece that has been overlooked for so many years is the maintenance of that weight loss. Right. And once you... It just, when you fully understand the picture, you understand how silly of a concept it is to have a diet that's eight weeks long and then nothing. Because if you don't continue with the same things that you did to lose the weight, it's almost for sure going to come back. Because now your body's upset that you have lost the weight. Mm -hmm. They want to gain it back. But at the same time, you have changed your metabolism because with less weight, you do not need as many calories to maintain where you're at. Right. Um, and oftentimes this correction and the change in, we know that our hunger hormones actually change um, because our body wants us to get back up to the weight. Right. So we're actually having more hunger hormones and less fullness hormones. And then often, almost always, people gain the weight back and more. Yeah. So it now throws your whole body off. Yeah, so now we know that those hunger hormones that have changed because we've lost weight 
even after we regain it, there's still, we're still hungrier and less full than we were before we even tried this diet. Yeah, so, you're almost fighting your own body. Yeah, so yeah. that's one of, like, key reasons we know diet don't work. Yeah. And this whole diet industry that has put us through this eight weeks of mm-hmm. not fun for a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, they know it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. We gain the weight back, and then they say it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not, it's, that's the huge thing is it's not yeah. the individual's fault. They were set up for a diet that wasn't going to work. Set up for failure. Um, and I think the key things to understand and why we are moving towards things like sustainable lifestyle changes and all of that. Changing your mindset. Um, is because if you can't, if you change a behavior, but you can't keep it forever, when you stop the behavior, any effects that you have from it mm-hmm. will return. And I think that's a concept that we're familiar with with other things. Right. Um, like, for example, and this is something someone has said um, talking about obesity. Um, if you were to put somebody who has high blood pressure on a hypertension or high blood pressure medication, um, and of course the medication does what it's supposed to do and their blood pressure comes down, and then they decide they're going to go off the medication, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be coming to you and say... Like, hey, doc, my, what happened? <laughs> right. I went off the medication, and all of a sudden, my blood pressure went back up right. to what it was before. Um, but people don't look at, at weight loss in that way. Yeah. And essentially, we have been taught to think that we can just lose it, and then, oh, we've done it. So yeah. people put themselves through hell with these cre- any fad diet coming in to mm-hmm. try and lose that weight that they've been thinking about their whole life. So, yeah. To me, it's let's let's stop this cycle before we start right. with the diets, and more importantly, let's just let's be happy with the body that we're in. Let's kind of reverse the damage that we've gone to with diet culture, and then I believe in body autonomy. And if people want to lose weight or want to try and lose weight intentionally, then you have the right to do that. Right. But I think it's important to look at the psychological reasons why. Um, and if you want to do it, you have to want to do that for yourself. Right. Um, and, and be willing to make, and like, have a plan, hopefully with a dietitian, um, to make changes that you can, um, keep doing for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and that are going to be genuine, like, positive changes in your life, not something that's going to make you unhappy. Right. And so look, cause your, your, your studies and then versus mine, when I'm studying marketing, it's crazy how much these diets have been grabbed by the marketing industry and been blown up and now they're just there to make money, which is sad, right? Cause yeah. they, I, I'm not saying that people who invented these diets didn't do it to be uh, malice and, and not helpful. But when you have the society that we're in and, and they grab that idea of keto and then market it and start making money off of it, harming people makes them money. Yeah. And right? not that the, not to say that this doesn't affect men cause it totally For does. Sure. Um, but the insecurities of women are, you, is a multi-billion-dollar industry. You can't have a body um, as a woman. So it, it's 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 so can, interesting. You could talk about that forever, and yeah. I encourage people to take like women's studies courses, like good ones that mm-hmm. actually talk about inter- intersectionality, um, and not just the experiences of white women. But um, it is a really interesting topic to get into of not only um, products that profit off of the insecurities of women, but the advertising that causes women to stay insecure. 
Right, and for sure. And that's what diets do, is we know diets don't work. They put, keep women insecure, mm-hmm. and then they tell us that it's your fault because you didn't have enough willpower, you didn't have enough this, yep. and that is complete and utter bullshit because your body is fighting against it, and your hunger hormones are, are increasing. So it's yep. not your lack of willpower, it's your body... It's not your fault. Yeah, naturally, like, it does resisting a change. And that's different between people, but you always see somebody, that one in a hundred person who loses weight and keeps it off, and that's the only story that you see. Right. Um, I'd love to see stories of people, I tried this diet, I lost weight, and then I gained it all back and more, and mm-hmm. I realized that it was the diet's fault, not mine. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of a lot of positive and negatives in our whole generation in the social media piece. Because it's bringing a lot of negativity, but also we see things like the body positivity movement, right? Like you said, started by black women, to bring acceptance to your body, right? It's not the idea of confidence, it's the idea of accepting that you have a body and it looks the way it is and it's not something that we want to compare. Yeah, I think with social media, and I do want to move on because I do want to talk about keto diet. Yeah. Um, like, you get to create your own algorithm and it, as much as it shouldn't have to be your responsibility to try and avoid all of these like influencers that try and make themselves look perfect and and everything like it's really important to follow people and that make you feel good about yourself there's so many great influencers I would recommend following Megan Boggs um she's a woman in a larger body who is really um, she shares her fitness journey and is trying to make um, fitness accessible to people in all bodies. Right. And she just released a book, which I'm excited to read, hopefully. Um, and it's just, it's so easy to, it, like, that's something that you can change. Right. Um, to try and, like, make social media something that is positive rather than negative. Because yeah. it's so easy to just follow some influencer and then compare yourself to their body yeah, and feel inadequate. You can always, I always say, follow people on Instagram with your body type and that, that, that look like you. You know what I mean? That can be very beneficial mm-hmm. to be scrolling through your Instagram and seeing people looking dope as hell and they have the same body shape as you. That's, that's amazing. You look at that like, oh, I would look good in that. And that whole vibe of not following, you know, all these celebrities who make money off of just being skinny. Yeah, that... To quickly glance over a huge topic, that also brings up something, um, just, there are so many women out there, though, that can look at somebody with the exact same body type as them, and say, oh my god, she has such an amazing body, like, I, like, I wish I looked like her, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at your friend, and you're, and you're like, I don't know if I should say this, but, like, you guys have the same, that's that's what what you you look look like, like. yeah, um, so that's, that's a huge thing as well yeah um that like that makes that challenging right for sure because body dysmorphia yeah yeah and that's all for this week join us next week for the second part of this series i hope you enjoy and have a lovely day